Hello and welcome to another episode of Chipping Away. Where your host Akash Indurka take you on a journey of the anthropology, archaeology, art history and cultural studies of South Asia. Well, that was a mouthful, but so is our past with so many vignettes of cultural history. International Museum Day is right around the corner on the 18th of May. And in celebration of this event, last year we put out an episode with a special guest, Miss Ruta. This year we have another special with another museum personality. Joining us today is Miss Sanjana Rangan, a research coordinator at the Robert Bruce Foot Sanganakallu Archaeological Museum, Ballari, in northern Karnataka. Hey Sanjana. Hi Sanjana. It's nice to have you here. So Sanjana, tell us what do you do? What is the role of a research coordinator and what is the Robert Bruce Foot Sanganakallu Archaeological Museum at Ballari? Our museum tries to present prehistory and how archaeology studies this prehistoric past in the world in India and why Sanganakallu that a village so close to Ballari is important in this journey and what are things that archaeologists did at Sanganakallu to identify these artifacts that people can go and see at the site to interpret these bruisings that you find at the site and how do you really connect the site of Sanganakallu to the neolithic period to the relevance of Ballari in today's society our founder director Professor Ravi Kori Shatter has worked in this region for over three decades and all of the research that he has done, all of the information that he has painstakingly collected and studied with the team has resulted in the creation of such a wonderful space for children, for adults, families, just about everybody to come spend a little time at the museum, learn a little bit about the place that they belong to and just have a good time. That's what our museum is about. And what I do at the museum as a research coordinator is to basically ensure that the collections that have been so wonderfully given to us at the museum are taken care of, maintained, are managed properly, that our visitors to the museum just don't, you know, come inside the museum, see things, see things and go away. But there's an experience that we give them. And we're also looking at trying to create, you know, an environment for museums, history, art, culture is appreciated at a local level. These are my responsibilities as a research coordinator at the museum. And here I'd like to you know, just give a shout out to the people who are behind this museum, you know, really pushing us through and giving us all of the support we need. Professor, of course, he's an amazing person who has helped us so much in giving us a sense of direction as to where this museum has to go. Santosh Martin sir and Ahira, the pillars in Balari society who really supported our museum and I can't go without mentioning the support that we have from the district administration. The deputy commissioners in Balari district, the other departments in the district have all provided much needed support and through their support and funding from CSR funds by Jindal, Minera Steel and NLDC, we have been able to bring our museum to the state it is in right now. The museum's name has two elements, as I can see. One is Robert Bruce Foot, and the other is Sangan Kalu. Could you tell us more about these two elements and how they tie to this museum? Sure. The name of our museum is a handful, but every element is equally important. We're an archaeological museum. The site of Sanganakalu is highlighted because of our proximity to the site and the importance of this Neolithic and Iron Age site to the region itself. The name Robert Bruce Foot was chosen because Professor Kori Shetter wanted to dedicate the museum to this personality, the father of Indian prehistory. Robert Bruce Foote identified India's first Paleolith at Pallavaram in 1863, and we hope that our museum and its activities will be a long-lasting tribute to this personality, who established the presence of a prehistoric past in India. 
Sanganukalu, for all our listeners, is a Neolithic and Iron Age site in northern Karnataka. It's a site that is based on a hilltop that has rock engravings as well as evidences of uh, habitation, stone tool manufacture, as well as concept known as Ash Mound. An ash mound is a large accumulation of cow dung that is systematically and frequently burnt, leading to the accumulation of this ash in a giant mound structure. So these are features that we find in the landscape all over southern India. This was a site that was discovered in the 1880s with further work that happened in the 1940s. And all of this information is available at the museum. And then it becomes no wonder as to why would you want a site museum dedicated to a specific epoch or period in archaeology and explore it further. And if I'm not wrong, maybe this is one of the very few examples of a prehistoric museum in South Asia. And the connection of the museum with the specific time period and the area in which it is set is almost as an extension of museum into the site and back into the museum. So trying to keep a cyclical education or site-specific analysis continuing from generation to generation. And I think that is one of the highlights of this museum. And if you could speak a little bit about maybe public tours or museum activities connected with the site, that'll be great. That's really a good point. Yeah, we're trying to ensure that there is that site and there are people who go either to the museum, to the site, back to the museum, or from the site to the museum and back to the site to learn something more about what the site has to offer and ultimately about their own past. We, it's hers words, he encourages teachers and students to come and utilize this museum to the maximum extent possible because the kind of resources that we offer here are quite unique. Whenever visitors come in, this is something that I always ensure that I do. We find time to them. We find time to give them. We talk to them. We find out where they are from, what they do. If they know the region as well as they think they do, and then take them on this really exciting story about 5,000 years ago, what happened in the Indian subcontinent. With each of our visitor groups, we ensure that we try and have more nuanced experiences for them, more individual and personalized experiences. That way they can connect to the material that we present. At present, we are ensuring that students from schools and colleges that come to us as a group have the subjects and disciplines that they're learning in college introduced to them in the prehistoric context. We're trying to connect zoology students for botany students, paleoanthropology and paleobotanical evidences that are available at the museum. For third standard and fourth standard kids studying about Indian geography, the physical features of India, the natural resources available, we have maps of India on the table and then we say, huh, identify your Himalayas. And then if I give you a state, can you identify the state? And in that state, can we tell you what kind of sites are there? So these kinds of activities targeted at different audience groups are what we're trying to develop at the museum. It's still a work in progress. And the more number of visitors we have, the better we can refine such a process and the more number of activities that we can get out. Because ultimately, if the center is utilized by as many people as possible, that is when we know that, you know, this museum has had an impact. We really want people to come and use this. And with regards to, you know, people using the museum responsibly, one important audience that we can't leave out are the teachers. With the Azim Premji Foundation, we have successfully organized multiple workshops and sessions for primary and middle school social science and science teachers at the museum to introduce them to the archaeology in their backyard. More importantly, how to connect what is there at the museum to what they can teach in their classroom. This was also something Akash was a part of. Actually, the first program that we'd done with the Azim Premji Foundation was during the inauguration of the museum. 
and this was the first time i had actually tried okay fine stone tool technology kaise karte hain and akash was right there so i just said akash come here please help us out and immediately you know he just said okay fine let's just do an activity and he did wonderfully well that the next semester a couple of teachers came back with their school students and they said madam can you show us those stones we want to show the students which is a wonderful thing to see the impact that good facilitator has on the teachers and ultimately the effect that the teachers have on the students it's wonderful you're able to you know reach out to the teachers effectively teachers will bring in the students students will bring in their friends and their families and that will lead to this really lively community there were actually quite wonderful nuggets lot of gems if i may as you were speaking and one thing that really struck me was this connection of enhancing tangibility with the prehistoric past because when we are out and about in the museums on an ordinary day we look at sculptures images pillars which have a backing of literature or narratives or stories that we have grown up listening to but with prehistory there is a certain kind of disconnect because in most cases we are not really trained or we don't even know how to look at stones or the landscape and to make sense of history or the value it has for us in form of a narrative so all these activities to me actually sound like they're coming together in trying to sort of weave together a narrative with which we can actually look at the landscape around us with more knowledgeable eyes and vision if i may Yes this is interesting more so because like you said in the prehistoric phase that the neolithic is a part of the neolithic is a phase of prehistory before writing when domestication and agriculture had become prominent so we had the crops that we are familiar with we had cattle and other kinds of animals like sheep and goat that were part of our human community and as well as that we are now settled down into small towns and villages so this is a period that in archaeological time we call and consider as the neolithic so at this point of time you don't have large structures large monuments you have some sites on the landscape but these again tend to be small little hamlets and villages so unlike later periods like uh, durga just pointed out you don't have massive structures you don't have sculptures you don't have monuments so it's interesting to try and connect these intangible realities of our past onto a tangible identity for the present and also if i may jump in there uh, most of the record from the neolithic is quite flimsy as compared to the medieval or historical period where you have solid stone structures maybe towering as high as 7 plus feet and hence we have lot of tangible remains as compared to the neolithic or the prehistoric So we have landscape as the backdrop to study and go back to and which I think Sanjana really pointed out very well where she and the museum of course are bringing in studies in geography paleobotany paleoarchaeology and sort of putting it all together to inform the perspective that we have for the past speaking about the landscape and tangibility the landscape has been wonderfully represented at the museum So Sangrakalu the landscape itself is this granitic Thor Inselberg landscape it's just these granitic hills together with an intrusive dolerite dike across and you know if i'm to say these words to visitors or just show them photographs it would be very difficult to perceive the size and the scale of the site a very interesting thing that's been done at the museum is to use the sunken area in the center of the museum and create a scale down model of the site how you reach the site from ballari what are the major hills in the complex 
where you can find these intrusive dolerite dikes. And on top of this model, we've tried to create these visual cues as to the kind of features that are available at the site. So on the site, we have these red color lights, these green color lights, yellow lights, and some other color lights that actually tell us what kind of features are available at the site, which visually helps us associate with the site. And even to this day, we encourage our visitors to go to the site, go see what material things that, that you observe at the museum that you can see at the site and actually experience the site for what it has to offer. That's the beauty about archaeology, you know, that subject itself brings that materiality into most people consider it to be intangible. And it is a wonderful tool for me to create tactile experiences at the museum, for me to ensure that visitors with vision impairment are also included in our audience space. You know, having physical, tangible experiences at the museum is extremely important. And these stone tools, so many of them are available at our museum. We have curated a small collection that people can feel. Other museums will say, don't touch the sculpture, don't touch the showcase. But over here, we have this table that says, please touch these objects, feel them and get a sense of what they are. I mean, they don't look natural and then the question might arise, these are not natural stones. So it's really cool to see, you know, people come to the table and then they are like, why have they left these things out? And this apprehensive one finger touch will go there. And then they look around to see, hi, somebody looking at us, does somebody have a problem? And then when they process that, okay, they can interact with prehistory, they can interact with the subject that is on display. It leads to questions, it leads to discussions, and it leads to a memorable experience. It really strikes me that you have a variety of material to look at, to touch, to interact with. So in addition to the interaction with the landscape, what other material do the visitors actually get to interact with when they visit the Robert Bruce Foote Sanganakalu Archaeological Museum? Oh, that's a fun question, Dukka. Thanks. At the museum, we have a lot of things. The stone tools, yeah, that occupies the prime spot. But there are some lesser known attractions at the museum. Professor Korishatar's contributions to the field of archaeology is truly immense. And Sir actually received the Bone Clone series from Texas A&M University and the University of Cambridge. So these replicas of our hominin ancestors have been put on display. You will actually find this series of hominin fossils, replicas of course, on display for us to actually see how that evolutionary process occurred. It is very interesting because so many people, they recognize that the ape to human evolutionary process through photographs, through those skulls on the textbook. But at this museum, they turn around from those posters with those images to those skulls and then immediately they rush towards it and they enjoy saying that, oh, this guy never had a forehead. This guy had a very small brain. What about this? Why is his brain larger than the other one? And these are some questions that come about only, you know, with some really, really unique collections at this museum. That is one collection that Ravi Korishetar has given to this museum so that it reaches a larger audience. At our museum, we have lots and lots and lots of bones. Our museum has two large categories of collections. One, the collection that we put on display. Collections that you see in the information boards, the ones that you see in the tunnels. Collections that are relevant to the site and that speak about the site's features. Things that you will probably see there, things that were collected from there. The other collection that we have at the museum, which forms, you know, the bulk of the collection, is our research collection. Collections that have been meticulously collected, studied, and whose information has been published about these different contexts and different time periods and sites. This collection, to me, is a very important collection at the museum because research scholars will have access through proper channels, of course, to this material that you will not find anywhere else. So for studies, for research purposes, we can definitely, you know, approach the museum and ask for access for these collections. 
as one of the first product of museum you have the kudutini sarcophagus and skeleton that you know that's something that you know the visitors just start asking me hey what burial practices in the iron age and how the kudutini skeleton and sarcophagus is representative of the burial practices that existed it's a wonderful segue to introduce skeleton as a person who was alive and then introduce them to what happens after life how are the dead treated in iron age society so this is something that really attracts the visitors and on each floor what we've tried to do is introduce different systems through which we can convey the subject so downstairs it's primarily maps and these skulls that help us out on the first floor the introduction of pottery the neolithic axes and our kudutini sarcophagus and skeleton that really steal the show Sangankar's artifacts have all been displayed very systematically corresponding to the kind of panels that we have on display at every section so that what they see in pictures what they are reading as text is what they are seeing as object at museum that correlation between what we are understanding and what we are seeing has to be brought out and the museum is in that unique position to do that and encourage people to observe and then question what it is that they are seeing and then look at the objects again that same site to museum to site again or museum to site to museum is happening on a smaller scale inside the museum itself where they are shuttling from the scale down model to the google earth view and then back to one of the objects and then back to where the light is correct bonding that's a very cool thing to see kids just running around the museum it makes that museum feel so much more alive and i like your point about having sarcophagus and the skeleton because it helps us visualize the life then and puts back the human into dead objects that we usually detach ourselves from and as you mentioned these concepts about death and how treatment of dead would have looked like in that period really helps us bridge those gaps between the present generation that we are in and those past iron age generations and their treatment of the dead and if i may add a little i was also struck by the museum collection boasting collections on animal skeletons and that gives a very solid footing for us to study the paleo environment rather than just looking at soil samples or paleo botanical examples those are important yes but zoological data which is often very flimsy and quite rare in most cases so i think that really adds a new dimension or more value to the artifacts and to the era that we are studying this is an interesting trail of thought so let's step back from individual museums and look at concepts of museums in general or at a national level so how do you see the role of museums how do you envision it to be it's really fun because right now museums are trying to invent themselves or reinvent themselves there was that one reinvention where they saw themselves as these permanent not for profit education institutions you know that 2007 icom definition of museums but now with the world changing so much with museums becoming so involved in the society that they are a part of the way they are responding to social events i think the museum is still in that stage where it doesn't know what exactly it is and where it finds itself and having this one umbrella definition of what a museum is is also a little complicated because each museum might envision itself differently and i think it's still too early to concretely establish a museum as doing only this and delimiting the opportunities that it has to explore so i think we should wait just a little bit oh i had a question durka i mean as somebody who's not in india what's your opinion on the museums in this country those outside 
what do you think are some characteristics of those museums that we could probably adopt in indian museums that's a lot for me to think about <laughs> so i don't have a typical definition of museum in my mind as you rightly put it because for a large period of my masters and post masters a few of those years i was heavily influenced by the idea of demuseumization itself because sometimes i thought since museums run with a specific narrative is that what we would want to feed the audience with like this is what we believe and this is what you will get like right from which objects you curate to be a permanent display or which objects do you select for seasonal displays is heavily influenced by the narrative of the curators of the museum administration and so on and so forth so i came from a place that whether it is even a viable line to follow if you're opening up the doors of history and archaeology to be interpreted by all what we call as post processual then are we limiting the lens so that is what i came with but on the other side it is also important to have a museum space so that you have a dedicated workforce even to sort of curate and maintain the existing collections that we have because we cannot go on around the country and declare everything as heritage and preserve everything or conserve everything because of funds lack of space so on and so forth like every nook and cranny has a lot of stories to tell but then at the end of the day we have to be a little selective so that was my personal journey from looking at museums and now i think we are at a point where we really value this polyvocality and how various social groups are represented through maybe even the same data that we are looking at and with all these advances museum actually brings a very nice stage where we can have these conversations where actual tangible objects are right there gawking at you or you are gawking at them either way and these narratives can be fed into each other museums are also sites of contestation sometimes and i wouldn't be surprised if we have any museum dedicated to certain political events so again that would be the side of museums that i would not be happy with like immemorializing or memorializing a select ideology but i think that is the sort of knife's edge that we are at and i don't really have a very solid thing about indian museums or museums in india in particular but i see this as a whole movement of museums going different ways and as for india most of the museums that i know of started off as collections or activities in antiquarianism so it has that backdrop to it and i think we have come a long way from that past or that facade that it had to what the museums are doing right now like carving their own place in the public of south asia as well as on a world stage if i may so yeah to answer your question i don't have a very concrete suggestions or a line of thought but maybe that was just a snippet of my personal journey of thinking about museums that's really nice because they they represent certain spaces of conflict or certain events of conflict i think it you know such very controversial museums would really open up a space for discussion for a dialogue because if there is just this one storyline that's just put out and that is it either people will digest it and they will go away or some people might just end up questioning it and that questioning is something that i really look forward to at the museum because when you question what you're seeing right in front of you that is where you're looking for evidence and that is where you start searching for something and that attitude of looking beyond what is being given to you is something that museums can really stimulate 
in tamil there is this expression of thundi vidrathu which basically means you know taking a screwdriver and like digging through something and that idea of just actually moving past what people are just saying or putting out to you and asking why or how the museum is the right place for you to ask those questions and to find answers or even more questions about that thought which is the best part about museum in my opinion so i think that was a wonderful concept that you bring about how museums are creating this space for us to question for us to think beyond what is given to us and for us to question everything that is being told to us hopefully just like museums offer that space we hope our little initiative of this podcast also sets the ball rolling and makes people think and question be it about something as mundane as why we call it mankind or why do we have to use certain specific terms or how certain terms come into existence or such concepts so on that note i would like to thank you sanjana this was such a wonderful talk if you want to know more about who robert bruce foot was and why he is considered the father of indian prehistory tune in for our next episode wherein we'll take a deep dive into who he was and his contribution to indian prehistory and keep the conversation going on twitter and instagram at chipinawayind and send us a line at chipinawayind@gmail.com and don't forget to check out our blog site kelmighty.com so until next time keep chipping away Chipping Away is available on all major streaming websites such as Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and so on. So go ahead subscribe wherever you feel comfortable or you can just log in to Buzzsprout and check out Chipping Away. We have a new episode coming up every fortnight that is after every 15 days so twice a month. Each episode comes with a new theme, new points for discussion and something for us to take back and ponder on. So join us in our journey of understanding our collective past better and to question the existing and new theories and models that we encounter every so often. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chipinawayind and drop us a line about your comments, inputs and what you would like to hear from us at chipinawayind@gmail.com. In this current environment of chaos, uncertainty and a lot of tension that surrounds us with the pandemic, impending lockdown and other restrictions, let Chip in a way be your little moment of recluse from the world around you. Help us make this little movement a little more by reading the blog posts that go with our podcasts and other discussions online and offline. For the blogs you can check out www.kelmighty.com that is k a l e m i g h t y.com we have all the links in the description for our podcast and you can check it out online on google spotify and other major streaming sites so see you again in a matter of 15 days with a new topic a new theme and something new to pick your brain with Till then keep chipping away stay safe and take care bye bye